Hey, it's David, and welcome back to the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. Are you still not a member of Tone Bass? Head on over to ToneBase.co and use the promo code PODCAST-3 for $15 off of a subscription. I've got Evan Tauscher on the show today. He's got quite a following uh, through social media platforms, including Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Had a great conversation Talk about the development of social media and how it's changed over the years to great benefit for classical musicians. We were also joined by Hannah Murphy and Phil Goldenberg, who, along with Evan, are co-founders of the ex Artists Initiative. We talked about some of their current and past projects, including their first online guitar festival and competition, which had a great turnout of 144 competitors. Also talked about uh, the future of the organization and how they're producing material and events for musicians to take part in during these times of social distancing. I'm going to play a wonderful piece by Isaac Albanis. This is Evan Tauscher playing Pavana Capriccio. Thank you. 
Many of the listeners are very familiar with you because you have such a big following on social media, uh, particularly Instagram. How did all of that start for you? Oh, well, um, well, first off, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. But I started with YouTube, actually, which never really picked up. I, um, I started classical guitar in my undergraduate at Florida State University. And I had already been posting just like kind of silly electric guitar videos, like covers of things and stuff. And when I I was kind of fascinated by YouTube and people who were like gaining followings on there. And uh, I don't know. I, I just liked the idea of that coming up as a opportunity. I don't know. I, that's just how I thought of it then. And when I started classical guitar, I thought, well, how cool will it be for me to show how I progress through classical guitar? Because when I first picked up classical over the summer before my second year at Florida state, uh, I, was like working through things really fast and I was practicing guitar more than ever. It was like 12 hours a day. I, wow. I, I wish I was exaggerating. It was very unhealthy uh, mentally and uh, physically, you know? So yeah. I was practicing a ton. And then when I got to Florida state, I knew it was just going to be ramped up from there because my teachers were even of a higher caliber. And um, there was all these peers around me that were amazing so I thought, well, I know I'm going to be improving a lot and changing a lot of things and coming from electric guitar and fingerstyle guitar, it's going to be an interesting process. And if nothing else, it'll be awesome for me to watch back in the future. Yeah. So basically I just started recording weekly videos, sometimes a couple times a week of saying like, I think I called them like progress videos and I would just show what I was working on and, you know, some really embarrassing videos that... I probably wish I didn't delete now because some I deleted before you could make a video private. <laughs> but anyways, these videos I would post and I I was getting some feedback from those videos. Some people were saying, hey, thanks, I'm starting classical guitar too. And uh, we're doing the same things. You know, it was Brower Studies or Sore Studies, Garkasi, these things. Yeah. And then eventually Instagram started allowing 15 second videos and that was the max they allowed when video came out. I think that was 2013 or 2014. Oh, I didn't realize they didn't have video from the start. Yeah. It was all photos when, from the start, I think yeah. I, I made one in like 2010 or 2011. Gotcha. And yeah. So in 2014 they started allowing videos and I thought, Oh, how cool. Like this is what I'm doing on YouTube, except I can just show my progress with little clips and those clips were doing way better than my YouTube videos were, especially since it's, you know, more catered to the short attention span, especially when it was 15 seconds max. Um, but yeah, I just started following other people that were uh, instrumentalists. A lot of them weren't even guitarists. You know, I was following like violinists and, okay. and stuff and uh, just posting as much as I could. And it just sort of took off from there. Um, and there's been, you know, valleys and peaks, but... Uh, that's how it started. One of the things I wanted to discuss was how new in the scope of everything social media really is and how it's only really gained prevalence for classical musicians in the recent years. Oh, it's how bizarre. do you find um, social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, how, how do you find it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the way to word this, how do you uh, find its importance and influence within uh 
your personal career as a classical musician than maybe the whole community altogether? Yeah, well, when I first started building some sort of social media influence, it was still very um, looked down upon social media. In, in fact, Instagram in particular, it was like like some silly land of music. For me, I, I was really appreciative. I was just like, wow, this is awesome. People are listening to my music and I've got a place to share this kind of thing. But yeah, it slowly started to take more of a role. Um, obviously now it's such an incredible role and in five more years, it's going to be even more so. And uh, at least I'm a little biased in thinking that maybe, but um, t- people understanding that the worldwide uh, influence that, you know, what we hope to have as musicians uh, can't just take place from you traveling around and giving concerts. It, it has to be uh, part of another world too. You know, you have to be out there, especially as a young musician, you have to get your music heard. And if you don't adapt to the modern um, ways, then you're stuck with only a couple of options, you know, and that's become world famous as being a a performing musician and somehow uh, abstaining from joining the social media circles or, you know, just do it as a hobby and make money doing other things, you know? So it, it, it's almost not a choice anymore and everyone has to be involved with it. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild to think about how it used to be a joke to, or maybe I shouldn't use the word joke, but people used to joke around about Instagram. And now if you're in the entertainment, uh, particularly the music industry, if you don't have an Instagram, now the question is, how'd you not have an Instagram in today's era? Right, uh, and people are wondering why you don't have one, especially companies or... Um, you know, what is, what is there to hide out there? What, why don't you have one of these things? Or is it, is this some sort of issue with you not wanting to share your music and yeah, these types of things? Yeah. It raises, if anything, a little bit of a suspicion if you don't have that type of, uh, presence, not necessarily saying you need a huge following to stop concerned, but if you aren't, uh, if people can't find you on these platforms. It is a bit disconcerting, especially if you're within this generation of younger yeah. players. And maybe this is digressing a little bit, but I find that the, the thing is that a lot of people don't realize that they have something to share. Um, yeah. You don't need to be a virtuoso to share something. And uh, I, I've seen people that, I, I give this example all the time. It's way more interesting to see someone that maxes out at 80 beats per minute 16th note scales improve from that to going to 120 in the period of seven days than almost any other content that I watch. If I can see someone doing this quick improvement over hard work and they edit it together in a one minute video or a 15 minute video, whatever it is, it's super engaging content. Um, and, totally. and other people appreciate that hustle and, and will watch that. Uh, you yeah. don't need to just be some finger flying virtuoso to, to catch views. Uh, but that being said, it's so tricky and the game's changing all the time that I don't want to sound like I have all the answers. It's yeah. Just, you got to be on your tippy toes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always changing. There's times where, you know, you post a video and it gets 20,000 views and then you post a video that you think is better and it gets 500 views. No, but you know, social media has been really interesting. How to, my whole thing has been trying to keep a foot in both worlds because I think a lot of people see a social media following nowadays and they see that as like what you do. And some people 
are amazing at literally just doing social media and creating um, educational videos for people and sharing their experiences. And it's super valuable to me. But what I'm passionate about is performing and playing guitar and, um, you know, inviting others into this world of classical music and, and the guitar in general. But uh, I want to do it in a really, um, in, a, in a way that gets a lot of um, people into classical music you know, into this yeah. world and, and having a foot in the world of competitions where, you know, there's times well, when I was in Milwaukee, I did maybe a couple dozen competitions over the course of two years. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of competitions and I, I now do a lot of performing and kind of mixing those worlds is what I'm trying to do. Have a foot in both, both of them. And you, you see a lot of classical musicians doing that nowadays. And I think it's such a cool thing. One of the really cool things that I've experienced in this blend of a foot in both worlds, and you know, I, I use this expression because the worlds do come together. It's really incredible. Some of these concerts that I've given, um, I gave one at the Sarasota um, Classical Guitar Society and up in Grand Rapids. And every now and then I'll meet someone in the audience that was like, hey, I saw your post on social media and that's why I, uh, I came here. I've been following you since you know, um, 2017 or something like that. Oh, wow. And it is such a fun thing to meet those people that, you know, they, a lot of times they're guitarists, of course, and they're, they've gone through some sort of similar path. Like they started late or something like that. But you know, what's funny is most of the time people message you afterwards and told you they saw you and they, they didn't say hi, but they were nervous or something. And that's the worst thing. Cause I'm like, ah, cause you want to like meet tons them. of people come up to, you. you know, it's like every now and then someone comes up to you. Yeah. So, Oh, well that's gotta be, that's gotta be quite an experience. Uh, Oh, it's, it's fun to have that happen. That's great. Yeah. Well, one of the projects that, um, well right now it's, it's a big focus. There's this project X Aquo that I've been working on and that's, kind of going along the same lines of this like online and offline mixture. And uh, we're, we're doing a online competition right now, which from what I understand the time that this airs, it's, it'll already be over, but um, we're kind of like an artist collective that uh, we're, we're a group of people that go around to guitar festivals and compete and do a lot of performing. And we've put together a great list of artists and we're doing a lot of uh you know, different videos, educational videos, but also masterclasses and, and uh, concerts that we're hosting online. And we'll go into it uh, in, in our following, uh, in the following bit, but this family tree uh, that we're doing is, is a project that we're all really working hard on to try to get this lineage of uh, classical guitar figured out and on one webpage, which is going to be so exciting. So we are now joined by Phil and Hannah, uh, and the three of you all together are the founders and kind of the masterminds of this wonderful new platform, Ex Aquo Artists. Tell me about this new project. Yeah, so it, it started out as something completely different, but um, yeah, basically we had the idea of a group of artists coming together to share sort of pool resources and, and have all of the, uh, all of everybody helping, basically helping each other. Um, and since then the idea has sort of evolved and turned into this, this um, essentially classical guitar advocacy group that it is now. Um, 
and is also a, a nonprofit, a registered nonprofit. So we were, we were starting about to just talk about how there needed to be some sort of collective among artists, especially in the classical guitar community, um, and how it's not really something that young classical guitarists do. You know, of course, you have the uh, older generation of classical guitarists that have uh, big universities and programs and established festivals of over 20 years and things like this, but none of the newer generation of classical guitar really had a place to, um, to come together and not only engage people online in like, um, a, a really modern way, pulling new audiences to classical guitar, which, uh, we all have some experience in this conversation, uh, doing, but also bringing that into real life to where we're engaging new audiences, you know, where we all actually across a few different festivals that, Phil, Hannah, and I were all at together. We were talking about how it's such a shame how, you know, most of the audiences at these concerts are guitarists. And even to the point where the people performing the concerts are mentioning to the audience that it's just guitarists in the audience. Like, well, you guys all know this next piece, you know, um, no, no need for introduction. And uh, how that world needs to start changing, especially as classical guitars picking up, you know, sort of kind of going through a new age of it getting popular again, I think. Absolutely. And it's definitely, uh, it's nerve wracking when you look out onto the audience and you just see everyone buffing their nails and complaining about hearing the same damn repertoire. It looks like quite a few of your artists, uh, I particularly think of Tom Clippinger, are very involved in uh, new music and uh, composers uh, that aren't quite as popular because it's very easy to fall into this trap of uh, very repeatable uh, programs and guitar festivals. So you guys mainly focused on either new repertoire or maybe uh, almost uh, forgotten or hidden repertoire. Well, actually, we're 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 really trying to pull an artist list together, um, which we already have nine artists now. But we're trying to pull a list together that everyone specializes in something different. So the thing that's amazing about Tom is that his heart is like so fully poured into modern repertoire and commissioning new works and, um, and digging out like the most abstract things sometimes. Not that that's the only thing he does, but he's amazing at that and passionate about it. And that's what makes him awesome. Whereas someone else might be focused on Spanish repertoire or someone else might be focused on transcriptions and um, just having like this broad uh, artist base that's, uh, really diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the organization launched uh, quite recently. Remind remind me when did you guys kick off officially? Uh, it was about two weeks ago. Okay, and this is in the midst of. Uh, and I'm trying not to speak too much of this virus because I want this to be a relief from the news and everything. But it did happen in the midst of this self-isolation, social distancing from coronavirus. And you guys have done some really unique things I've never seen, uh, such as your first online guitar festival. Now you're uh, vamping up uh, for the uh, first online competition that I've become aware of. Is this uh, something you're planning on continuing for the foreseeable future? Are you hoping to move these into more in-person events once everything kind of blows through? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We never really... Uh intended this to be an online thing. Uh, it was always with the intention of it it uh, existing within the current structures of classical guitar. But then when all this, uh, this self-isolation stuff happened, 
we sort of noticed that we were uniquely positioned uh, in such a way that we could do so much online stuff because of the followings that Evan and Hannah have and, and also um, myself. But yeah, I mean, the, the online stuff is sort of probably always going to be a section of what we do, but we are certainly trying to move into, into real life once we can go back to real life. Right. And the funny thing is that we all like have our own online things that we do. We make videos, you know, we do contests. Uh, I ran this project called Sight Read Daily and, and still do, but we all also were managing a long list of concerts and competitions that we were going to. And then obviously all of a sudden those were all gone and it just enabled us to devote a ton of effort into getting this project going. And uh, all of a sudden we had this extra time and we're like, Hey, we should really um, start this up, you know, and, and it always takes more time than you imagine. That's great. Yeah. It, it's really funny how it seems for quite a few musicians now that they have so much more times on their hands, they're actually much busier with all these uh, extra projects. So, so looking forward, are you hoping to, do a yearly type of festival or is everything still up in there? What, what are the thoughts moving forwards? Uh, we have a lot of, a lot of different projects in the works. Um, the, the funny thing is that, is that we never really had one of, one of our goals was never to have a festival, but now that we did this festival, uh, it's hard to think that this would be the only one. Yeah. We, we started by doing online concerts and masterclasses. And those, we had a little form submission on our website and the form submission within like, I think it was within 24 hours of these, of us even starting our Instagram page, XAQUO, we had like 70 form submissions for people to play in masterclasses with our list of artists. And then that sort of feedback, we were just like, wow, okay, everyone's looking for education and ways to distract themselves in positive ways um, during this time. And the response was insane. We had hundreds of viewers in the concerts and uh, and, and masterclasses that we put on. So the competition was kind of the logical next choice because, you know, on our calendars, we were seeing competitions pop up. Oh, Philadelphia. Oh, it's canceled. Oh, you know, this this next festival is canceled. Long Island Guitar Fest. Oh, okay. Everything was just disappearing. And then we were thinking of how nice of an opportunity this would be. Yeah, it's fantastic. How... How did you guys uh, handle all the logistics for not only, you know, it's one thing to have to live stream a concert over Instagram, but to integrate uh, another performer in the masterclass setting. How did all that come together? Yeah, we had to give instructions on, you know, what you were going to be playing to announce it and give us your sheet music for the artist and everything like that. It was a lot of administrative work that it went into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's... I, I've done, since uh, this virus has come, I've done one live stream concert myself. And it, it's it's amazing uh, how well you can connect with the audience, but it definitely needs a different approach of stage presence and really understanding how to talk to the audience. So I, I, I'm sure that was uh, quite a hurdle to pass through, not only for your artists, but especially all the participants uh, with the master classes. Especially with the concerts, you had you don't have anybody, um, you know, clapping in between. So you have to rethink how you play a concert on its live stream. The thing that, that was kind of interesting to me was it, it almost feels like when you're playing the concert to the to the live stream, it's almost like the concert and the reception are happening at the same time because... 
everybody's like joking around and stuff in the chat and like you're you're having a good time like interacting with people um and that's like all the stuff that would happen you know at the bar afterwards yeah yeah uh, <laughs> but instead it's happening while you're playing you know what yeah that's such a strange thing the audience interaction was amazing and that the thing that's missing in classical concerts is missing for a good reason right like you don't have people yelling and screaming because we're so about the detail but everyone's base, basically yelling and screaming in the text, but they can still listen to the detail when they're, typing. you know, it goes from making a joke that's pretty funny then to someone saying like, whoa, that was insane. Whoa, that was beautiful. You know, that was such an interesting experience. I, uh, I mean, I was guilty myself. I tuned in uh, for Tom's concert, part of it. And during his encore, I was yelling at him to keep playing Koyu and Baba because I thought he would get a kick out of that. So, you know, I, I apologize if I derailed anything with that. But it is, it's very interesting to see how people will snap for being extraordinarily goofy and just making a total kind of joke and then having a very kind of in-depth, thoughtful conversation on the music and repertoire that's being played. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a nice community there. As a performer, what was it like reading these comments or did you even have time to read some of them? It's got to be a bit overwhelming when you got to deal with tuning, figuring out where you're going to play next and then trying to read this stream of comments that just keep coming in and coming in. Man, the problem is you're you're playing and you're not looking at the screen and then you look, you look at the screen for one second and everybody, when I was playing, everybody was talking about... Uh, I was wearing a suit and everybody started typing about what do you think Phil's net worth is? And <laughs> I saw that out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, yeah. So you probably it, never it thought you'd be right? asked that at a concert. <laughs> yeah. I think that was my fault. <laughs> Must've been a nice suit. Yeah, I guess I wasn't wearing uh, socks and shoes though. So that's a nice part of uh, playing on Instagram live. You can wear whatever you want. You know, that's the beauty of uh, online classical music. You just have to have a nice uh, upper dress code, but you can get away with wearing sweatpants, PJs, slippers. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and everyone's holding a cup of coffee too. It's great. Yeah, yeah, a cup of coffee <laughs> or a beer. Or you never know. <laughs> right. So tell me about the logistics, bringing together all these guitarists uh, for one of the first virtual guitar competitions out there. Well, it's been quite insane um we basically announced the competition after trying to gather sponsors um to sponsor some cool prizes and we end up getting augustine strings to sponsor the grand prize and actually phil and hannah came up with an amazing idea i'm sure you guys can talk about it as far as um the four prize winners yeah so uh, the example that I was giving to somebody else who asked me about this was let's let's imagine a, a competition in which the semifinalists are me and Evan and Hannah, and then it's John Williams, Julian Bream, David Russell, and Andre Segovia. So in that semifinal round, we know who's getting to the finals. But then once you're in the finals, it doesn't make sense to me to rank those artists one through four, because those are four artists that uh all have individual strengths and they're all sort of on the same level of greatness um and that's how i feel in a lot of competitions that once you get to the final round it's just kind of a toss-up of like 
who's having a good day, who's having a bad day. What did the judges like? You know, is there did did like one of the judges kind of like get a text message or something during their their thing? Like what what happened in the in the final round? And we're always trying to guess like what the judges are gonna name the one, two, three, four, and we're never right. Like, I feel like I never know what they're going to do. Yeah. And instead of the conversation being like, wow, did you hear that Costa? Did you hear that Scarlatti? Did you hear? Instead of that conversation, it's like, who do you got? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I didn't like that. I didn't like how he did this. And instead, it's, you know, a celebration of everyone's artistry and just been like, wow, that is, you know, everyone talking about how nice of a concert it was and how diverse the music was and, and these types of things. Yeah, and so instead of that, it's usually this kind of competitive ranking system that we're all talking about. So what we decided to do with our competition is essentially eliminate that third round and just have uh, an open round and then a round of 12 finalists and then picking four equal winners that will share a winner's concert uh, the following day. Uh, and what, what we think that that allows is it'll, it allows the judges to pick a, a variety of artists that they all think are good. Um, and you're not forced between like, wow, this guy had really like dazzling scales, but then this other guy could, could make, you know, music out of like the littlest moments. Like, and then you're not forced to, to choose between these two players. You can have them both. Yeah. There's been situations before in a final round where I really wanted to play an original piece. Cause I felt like, you know what, this is something that's part of me and part of what I do. I want to show this. And then I've had professors and peers coach me like, oh, hey, that's a big risk. You know, like someone else might have played a super flashy scalar piece or fast arpeggios instead. And then the judges may not like your piece. Well, that's such a shame because in a final round, that's really where you should showcase who you are as an artist rather than like how you measure up against the other people in order to win first prize. Right. And there should be an audience that enjoys the final round. They should just be watching and liking what you're doing. Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why I've kind of past couple years myself as a player, I've steered away from competitions because it just becomes overly subjective. And it seems like they're just looking for things to find faults in the performances. And unfortunately it will come to something like, well, I didn't like that repertoire choice as much, or well, that wasn't traditional enough, or that was a bit too avant-garde of a program, even if it was a fair program to play. So it sounds like you're getting over some of these hurdles that that's so prevalent in classical competitions particularly guitar which is fantastic and has uh well maybe i shouldn't use the word turnout but i i know uh, at least at the time of this recording you guys just announced the competition a couple days ago are you seeing a pretty strong response uh online like you did with the people signing up for the festival i'm crunching the numbers now and it, it looks like we've got um we've got 41 applicants right now wow um, and that's after, I think we've been live with this competition for two days. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so people are clearly turning out for it. Um, and I don't, I, you know, it's probably a combination of things. The fact that every single competition has been canceled. And also, um, I'm hoping that people are responding positively about to, to our, our change in the format. Uh, but also some of, some of that has to be driven by the fact that we've got these, these awesome prizes, um, yeah, the the Augustine Strings Grand Prize, which is five hundred dollars to all four winners, uh, in addition to uh, strings and a sound file, which is just like the best nail file. Um, That's uh, Max Brenner's file. Yeah, Max right? Brenner. 
Cool, cool. Yeah, and uh, tome base memberships for all twelve finalists. Oh, fantastic! Oh, the other thing that we were uh, we were doing is we were allowing any of the finalists to win special prizes. So, for example, Altamira Guitars has donated a Soar model historical replica. So it's essentially a Lakote. Um, to whoever has the best interpretation of a 19th century piece. And that's open to anybody in the final round. We're going to have the all of the rounds live streamed. Even though the first video is a pre-recorded video, we're going to live stream all the contestants. And there's going to be three judges for each round. And the judges are also going to be live streamed while they watch the contestants. So it won't be roasting like uh, Simon from American Idol, but there'll be like some sort of feedback yeah, uh, given to each performer live, and that makes it interesting for an audience to watch too. Absolutely, it, it, it wouldn't quite have the same anticipation if you just submit your files and you call it day and you hear back in two weeks what happens. So that that's great. Well, one of the things that we have ongoing on the website is the uh, family tree of classical guitar. This is just kind of a a community project we have going on, and our visualization for this is. The idea that you could go to one website and you could see the entire history of classical guitar in a family tree and go and dig up information about each of these people um, that are historical figures uh, from classical guitar all the way from Segovia to Yobet, all the way back through Targa. Um, and, you know, the it, it's, it's unimaginable how big that could become. But what we've started to do is collect information on our website from people who decide to submit who their teachers were and who their teacher's teacher was and, and just going as far back as they know. And that way we don't miss out on branches that we otherwise wouldn't have, you know, thought about from our U S guitar scene. Yeah. So anybody can contribute to that and it's on the website. Oh, that's going to be fascinating. It, 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 in particular with the classical guitar world, it's such a interconnected community. And I, I can almost guarantee you, uh, the four of us all probably have some connection in regards to our teachers and their teachers and so on and so forth. It's pretty incredible when you think it through. Right. And and otherwise, all these things are taught in like guitar history or literature classes. And it's like on a slide and it's one teacher you're talking about, like who were Barrios's, um, you know, students and, and who did they teach? You never connect it all to the bigger picture, and just one big visual image for guitar education purposes would be uh, such an amazing thing. So we're working on putting that together. That's one of the things we're doing. Yeah. So one thing that we're we're really looking to do is sort of enhance the structures of community that already exist in classical guitar. And one thing that classical guitar has that a lot of other music communities don't have is all the all these festivals, the system of festivals. Um, and what we would, we are sort of seeking to do is to help each one of those festivals become a bigger event. So uh, one of the well, actually, the the first way that I think is is really necessary, um, the first way that we're we're trying to help is we want to put together a co- a comprehensive list of all the festivals that are going on in the in the world, basically, uh, at, all in one place. Do they have a competition? What are the competition requirements? Maybe like a few contact details. Um, yeah, who's but, performing? Where the what concerts are going on while while it's you know while you're there? Yeah. 
Yeah, because right now it's it's so piecemeal. It's very difficult to find, uh, you know, if there's a competition, you know, do you have to be like Facebook friends with the person who's running it and all this stuff, or, you know, it's it's so much by chance that you you find these competitions right now. Uh, so that's the first way that we want to we want to make it a little bit easier for for festivals and competitions to exist. Um, Evan had this really great idea for another way that we can we can help in help turnout at these festivals, audience turnout. Yeah. So this idea started with um, I, I don't know. I always felt that at competition there's all this lost value, and there's a couple of festivals out there that actually do this well, but most of them don't. Where you don't have much engagement of the community around you besides the actual competition. And then the competitors are going out there with this amazing skill set that everyone has going into a competition. Like, you know, your piece is so, so well, and the artistic level is so high nowadays in these incredibly difficult competitions. The guitarists are doing nothing else besides the competition rounds. And actually what ends up happening is like a lot of drinking and hanging around and self-doubt and things like this. So the idea is to get the competitors out into the community and to be performing for the people in the community before the festival starts or even on the first day of the festival. And, And what this idea would do is it would help everyone because the competitor would do this in exchange for the registration fees being covered by our organization. And then uh, they would be performing in the community, which would be giving them not only a reason to, to do it because they would have these registrations fee waived, but they would feel value from just the sheer uh, performance for someone that isn't uh, a judge. That's like a grumbly judge. It's going to, you know, mark every mistake you make. You might be performing for an old folks home or a school and talking about classical guitar where everyone's really appreciative of the music. But not only that, those people that are hearing you play will be more influenced to come to the festival. You know, you can hand them a flyer and say, hey, actually, tonight David Russell's playing. You know, it's going to be incredible. Tomorrow, Isaac Bustos is playing. Like, it's going to be amazing. They're like, who's this? And you get to tell them about it and invite them to the world of classical guitar. And then, of course, it's good for the festivals as well because they have more people coming to the festival and more people are able to come to the festival just because it's least less expensive because their competition fee was waived. Thank you, Evan, for being on the show. Please join me next Sunday for a conversation with Laura Snowden. Going to leave us here today with a composition of Evan's. The title of this piece is Bloomed. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time from the Tone Base Classical Guitar Podcast.